Good morning, Riverview. Uh, my name is Tony. If we have never personally met before, Anthony is on vacation this week with his family. So that gives me the opportunity to share with you as we continue our series, Psalms of the Summer. And I know personally, I was really excited to dive into the book of Psalms as a church for two reasons. The first is that many of these psalms have had a personal impact on me and my understanding of God and what it looks like to follow him. But two, the psalms are essentially a book of great worship songs. And within them, you can learn about what the heart of a true worshiper of God looks like. And they also teach you how to worship. And so they teach us how to worship God for his attributes. You know, we, we worship him for his power or we sing of his love or his acts of creation. But then on top of that, within Psalms, we also get this in-depth look at people who chose to worship God no matter what life threw at them. We get to see people who are worshiping God in the midst of their fears, their worries, their insecurities. And that's really what we're going to see today in Psalm 42. The other thing that I like about Psalms is that, again, like I said, they're, they're ancient uh, worship songs. And so because of that, many of the songs that we sing within our church today are based off of the Psalms. And so what I wanted to do was to read the first two lines of Psalm 42 and see if you could guess what song is written after these verses. And I'm sure that you will recognize it if you've been around the church. Psalm 42 starts off like this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, if we were all gathered together in this room, I would say, who knows what song I'm talking about? Lots of hands would go up because if you have been in or around church the past 35 years, it's very likely that you have heard this song as the deer. And so just at the, the intro of this message, I just wanted to sing a couple lines of that, and I encourage you within your homes to, to sing along with me. Okay, it goes like this. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart desire and I long to worship thee. When I sing that song, it brings back lots of memories for me, and maybe it does for you too. That song was written in 1984, so I mean, I was just a very little kid growing up hearing that song, but I would sing it in church. I would hear it in my house as my mom, you know, played it on cassette tapes or, or CDs, and I just remember thinking about this song when I think about the song, it just creates this very beautiful, peaceful, serene kind of image in my mind of this little deer and, you know, he's reaching over this, this little brook and he's just getting some water and it's just a very peaceful scene. And then the music line and the melody is just very light and, and simple and it just creates this, this, this like angelic scene of peace. And what I find interesting is that as I've actually dove into the context of Psalm 42, like that may be what the man was desiring when he wrote it, but that does not describe his current situation. In Psalm 42, we see that this guy is in absolute anguish. He feels like life is just beating him up blow after blow, that he can't even breathe at different times because of all the turmoil that is going on within his soul. And out of that place, 
he writes those words, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. And understanding the context has brought so much more power to those words because it's not like a man who like, life is good, Lord, I love you, I just want some more of you, that'd be great. No, it's like, God, life is so hard. I do not know if I'm going to make it. I need you. I need your presence. I need you. There's desperation there, right? And so understanding that makes it so much more powerful for me. And so my heart for all of us this morning is that as we dive into this psalm, you would really understand the heart of the man that wrote it, but then more importantly, that you would really see how to worship God in the midst of the struggles that we face in our life through this psalm. And so that's my heart. And before we really dive into it, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I know that it's not about my words, it's not about what I say, that someone's life is going to be changed or impacted. It is only you that can do that. And so, Father, through the power of your Spirit, I pray that you would just work this morning. I pray that you would open our minds, that you'd open our hearts to be able to receive the truth. And I pray that the truth that is in Psalm uh, 42 would just be so buried deep within our heart, God, that we'd be changed and transformed by it. Lord, I thank you that you're faithful. You are always with us. And uh, Lord, I just pray for those that maybe are, are just kind of having a hard time of life right now, that they would find peace, that they'd find comfort in the encouragement of your word today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So what I want to do is I want to um, just really dive into Psalm 42, and I want to read the first half of it, and then we'll break it all down, and then we'll go to the second half at the end. So let's start Psalm 42, verse 1, and I'm just going to read five verses. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And then he says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation in my God. So again, he, he starts off with this image of the deer. And, you know, through reading that section, we get a glimpse of his heart, but he goes back and he starts with the deer. And so it's this deer that is panting for water. And some of you may have seen a deer panting for water, but I'm sure all of us have seen dogs panting and probably on a continual basis. So if you need to, imagine a dog panting for water. So as I was thinking about this idea, I was thinking, what is he saying? That he just is just thirsty or, or is there more to it? And so I decided to do a little research on panting, went to the Encyclopedia Britannica. And I, I want you to listen into this because I do think it highlights what the psalmist is getting at. So according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, panting is a method of cooling used by many mammals that is accomplished by means of the evaporation of water from internal body surfaces. As the animal's body temperature rises, 
its respiration rate increases sharply and cooling results from the evaporation of water in the nasal passages, the mouth, and the lungs. Okay, there's a lot of science going on there. But listen to this. Panting expends large amounts of water, which must be replaced if the animal is to maintain an effective heat regulation. So what this is saying is that if the water isn't replaced, it could lead to very harmful effects for the animal. And so we have to think about it this way. The dog or the deer, they need water to sustain their lives. In the very same way, our soul, the psalmist's soul, needs the living God to sustain his spiritual life. We need God to sustain our lives, to bring us life, to bring refreshment to our souls. It's as if he is saying, God, like, I need you so much. I need a word from you, God. I need to feel your presence again in my life. And if I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make it. There is an absolute desperation as he's crying out. I mean, go back to this in verse 2. He says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? What he's saying is, when? Like, when will this be over? When will this feeling be over? When will I actually be able to connect with you again? Because I need you so much right now in my life. I mean, he's begging that I would just even get a sip of your goodness, Lord, that I could taste you and know that you're there in my life. But instead of tasting the goodness of God, all he is tasting is his tears. I mean, look at verse 3. He says, My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? So do you see what he's doing with God? He is being completely honest with God about what he is feeling. He is not sugarcoating it. He is telling God exactly what's going on. God, I am in tears here. I want you, but I'm not getting you. All I'm getting is anguish and pain and sorrow. He is being completely honest with God. And that's really our first point for today. Our first lesson that we're going to learn from this psalm is that we need to be honest with God about what we're going through and about what we're feeling. We need to be honest with God about what we're going through and what we're feeling. That's exactly what this psalmist is doing here and will continue to do throughout the rest of the psalm. And this is so important for us because I feel like somewhere in the history of the church, people started believing this lie that if I'm really trusting in God, that if I really have faith, then I should have continual happiness and that I should have no problems. But that is not the reality of life. Like God understands life way more than you do, way more than I do. I mean, Jesus himself in the gospel says, in this world, you are going to have trouble but take heart, I've overcome the world. God knows that life is not going to be easy and perfect and happy all the time. And he desires for us to be honest and real with him about what we are feeling and the emotions that we have. One of the things that we used to say all the time around here at Riverview is that real is better than perfect. And it honestly is. And God wants us to be real with him too. Like God he knows everything, right? So he knows when we are struggling. And again, he wants us to be honest with him. And think about this. If God didn't want us to be honest with him, 
this kind of raw emotion and struggle would not be in the pages of Scripture. If he only wanted us to say, God, life is great because you are great and I never have any struggles and everything is good, then he wouldn't have this kind of stuff in here. But it is because God realizes the reality of us as human beings walking on this broken world. He knows the struggles that we're going to face and he wants us to be open with them. That's why it's here. You know, I think it's, uh, it's interesting. A couple of months ago, actually, a friend gave me a book uh, entitled um, Spiritual Depression. And so it's all about the emotions and the feelings that we have as we go through our walks with God. And it's written by uh, a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a, a preacher, um, a teacher for many years ago. But I thought it was so interesting what he writes. He says this. He says, Through the Psalms, we are able to watch noble souls struggling with their problems and with themselves. They talk to themselves and to their souls, bearing their hearts, analyzing their problems, chiding and encouraging themselves. Sometimes they're elated, at other times depressed, but they are always honest with themselves. That is why they are of such real value to us if we also are honest with ourselves. He's saying in here, we see people who are so honest with themselves. And that would be so much value to us if we chose to be honest with ourselves too. And I would just add, and to be honest with God, to be honest with him about everything that's going on. It's like any other relationship that we have in this world. If there's openness and honesty, that leads to increased intimacy and good relationships. If there's no openness, there's no honesty, that leads to a very shallow and weak relationship. But we want to be people that go deep with God. We want to be people that understand and know more of Him. We want to be people that are molded by Him. And the way that we do that is by pouring out our soul and being honest about all the things that we are feeling. Okay, let's go back to the psalmist. So evidently, there is some turmoil in his heart that is stemming from the fact that people are taunting him about his faith. And this is another common idea that you're going to see throughout the book of Psalms, is people saying like, where is your God? Or why won't he do anything? Or people saying, God, have you forgotten me? It's this idea you're going to see over and over again. And so I was thinking about this idea of being taunted. And I think I've seen this two ways. I've seen it, you know, physically with other people, but then I've also seen it on a spiritual level with just these crazy thoughts that get into my mind. And so I want to explain those two. Um, have you ever felt tempted to like cool down your relationship with God around people that maybe didn't feel the same way? I know that I have, and I'm guessing that maybe you have too. And why do we feel that temptation? Well, because we're a little worried of, of what people are going to say. Are they going to disagree with us? Are they going to think that we're silly to believe in a God that, that we can't see? You know, are they going to think that we're weak, that we need God as a crutch, you know, to make it through life and think, well, you know, he, he must need some help, so it's good that he's got this belief in God. Like, are we facing those kind of things? I mean, have you ever faced those? I know that I have. Or maybe someone's like, you believe in God? Cool. Why don't you pray about something right now and let's see God do something now? You know, it's those kind of taunting that impact us. And so that's the physical side of it. But I also think that there's this spiritual battle that goes on within us against this, there is an enemy of our souls and he wants to taunt us about our faith to get us to believe lies. 
And so for me personally, I mean, I'm a pastor. I work at this church. I still get hit with this stuff. And I think it shows up in two ways for me. One is, you know, I'll, I'll have this thought creep into my head like, well, is God even real? You know, like, is this even all real? Have you actually given your whole life to something that may not actually be real? Like, you can't see him, you know, like, is, is it actually real? And uh, I face that in my life. But for me, as I've grown in my walk with God, you know, I'm not so easily fallen into that one. So then, you know, Satan just switches up again. And so maybe it comes at me like this. It's like, well, if he is real, he obviously doesn't love you because you've done this and this and this, and you continue to struggle. Or because you've asked him to do this in someone's life and they haven't done it. Or you've asked him for some healing in your own life and he hasn't done it. So obviously, like if he is there, he does not care about you enough to show up and do anything for you. And that's the taunting, you know, like those are two different ways that I feel taunted and maybe you feel the same way. And I feel like those lies are essentially the same thing that the psalmist is facing when people are saying to him, where is your God? When they say, where is your God? It's saying like, well, maybe God is not there or God does not care about you. And the psalmist is just like taking these blows. It's like he's being punched. His faith is just being punched over and over and over again. And, and just like, let's, let's see how he handles it in verse four. So he's getting beat up and he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. What he is doing is he's remembering the times that he had with God. You know, he's saying, God, it, it used to be so good with you. It used to be so good, but it is not anymore. So he's thinking back on his past. Remember, he's, he's a worship leader, right? Like he's writing these worship songs. He's looking back, remembering the good times that he had with the people of God, where he was just in the Lord's presence and leading with shouts and leading in great songs of praise. And it's interesting the, the commentaries and the biblical scholars that I was reading this past week, they actually um, pointed out that it wasn't just that this guy felt um, spiritually distant from God, but he also was actually physically distant from the, the temple or the place of worship, which we're going to look at a little bit more in a couple verses. But he couldn't physically be, you know, in, in, in the place of worship with the people of God, and he was struggling. And it just completely made me think of how things have been for us the last two months. We have been physically kept from joining together in worship. And this psalmist, he misses being in the place of worship. And I'm sure that maybe you're feeling that, and I know that I'm feeling that too. And so he's looking back to memories of good times of worship, and it caused me to think about one of my favorite times at Riverview is when we're singing that song, Oh, Praise the Name, and, you know, then all the instruments just stop, and it's just the voices of our church, and we're like, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. And that was just me singing it in here by myself. And it's just not the same. It's not as good as when we're all just like declaring that out together. It's just not as good. And that's what he's feeling too. 
he's facing that same problem. He can't be physically present to worship, and he doesn't feel spiritually connected to God's presence. So he's struggling. And what does he do when he's struggling? Well, he does something that I know I do, and maybe you do too. He starts talking to himself about it. He starts talking to himself. Look at verse 5. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation in my God. It's like in this moment, he recognizes the storm that has been and is brewing within his soul and he decides to talk to himself about it. He decides to give himself a pep talk. And um, it's interesting, you know, like throughout scripture, you actually see that the words that we speak have power. And so it's almost like he could choose to, you know, talk himself into this deeper hole or he could choose to talk himself out of it. And I know that that's been true for me because there are times where I'm just wrestling in my mind and I know that I can choose to just keep like talking about how bad things are and how I wish that things were different and how nothing's ever going to change. And I'm just getting like lower into the defeat hole. Or I can choose at other times to say, you know what? Like God hasn't left me. I know that he will never leave me nor forsake me. I know that he loves me. I know that he's with me. I know that I'm forgiven. I can use either one of those. Um, I, can, I can do either one of those options, um, and that's what he's doing here too. So the psalmist obviously decides to go with the pep talk. And so this is the next point for all of us, is that we have to be willing to tell ourselves the truth about God. We have to speak the truth of God over ourselves. Talk to yourself about the truth of God. Our words are powerful. Proverbs 18, 21, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death. So then I ask you, as I've been wrestling with myself, like, am I speaking life over myself or am I speaking death over myself? The psalmist chooses to speak life. But first, he speaks to himself and he's like, what's going on with you, soul? Like, inside of me, why are you so upset? What is going on? And then he says, Put your hope in God. So it's kind of like, like, Tony, put your hope in God, me talking to myself, for I will again praise him. And then he says, my salvation and my God. Catch this. Like he is telling himself to hope in God, to remember that God is my salvation, that God is my God. And we've got to recognize the importance of the pronoun there, my. He he, the possessive pronoun, he isn't saying that God is like a savior. He isn't saying, God, you are a savior. God, you are a God. But no, he makes it extremely personal to himself and says, God, you are my God. God, you are my savior. And so he's going back to the truth of who his God is. But again, he's in this battle where he goes back and forth to the truth, to again, what he's feeling. And so look at verse uh, Verse, verse 6, he says, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. So what's he talking about there? It's going back to that idea of the physical separation that he has from the place of worship. 
And according to biblical scholars, this reference seems to intend a location that was miles north, outside of the land of Israel, toward the source of the Jordan River. So whether that's exactly the point where he's standing, biblical scholars disagree, there's different ideas, but the point is, he is physically distant. And so what he's saying is, right here today, where I stand, I am choosing to remember you, Lord. I'm choosing to remember you. Remember in the midst of his physical distance, his emotional distance, his spiritual distance, I am choosing to remember and think back upon you. And he says this as he's being hit by blows again and again and again. Look at verse 7. He says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. What he's saying right now is, I feel like I am drowning. I feel like I'm drowning. Just being pounded with wave after wave of anxiety or fear or worry. It's like this feeling of being choked. Like I, I can't breathe. Like I just can't seem to catch my breath is what he is saying. And if you have ever dealt with real powerful deep anxiety, you may be able to relate to exactly what he is talking about. Again, it's, it's point one. Be so honest with God. If you feel like you are drowning in life, tell him about it. If you feel like you can't breathe, if you feel like you just keep getting knocked over again and again and again, tell him about it. Be honest. God can take it. God can take it. Be honest with him. Don't put on a fake smile. Don't overlook your feelings or your emotions. Sweep them under the rug. Do what the psalmist is saying. God, I feel like I'm going under. I feel like I can't breathe. Where are you? I need you to show up in my life right now. What we see in the psalmist is that he is beat up. He's weary. And when you look at our, our nation right now, um, when you look at the nation as a whole, it just seems like many people are, are weary. You know, life, is, it, life is not normal. You look at the, the unemployment rate, which is like just incredibly high. People are struggling. Maybe they're worrying about like how they're going to provide for their families or maybe they're worrying about their health or maybe they're just sick and frustrated that they can't do what they've normally done. They can't greet people they want, the way they want to. They can't go to places they want to go. They're locked up in their houses. Um, their kids can't even play outside in the playground at Riverview because it's shut down. Like there is a lot of frustration and turmoil and angst that is going on within so many different people right now within our community and within our nation and within our world. And I want to say, if you're sitting in that place with all this angst inside of your heart, like you have good company. You are connected to one of the great worship leaders of the Bible. He felt the same way that you do and that I have been feeling. So again, what does he do? Look at verse 8. He goes back to who God is. He says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. It's like he's saying, God, whether I'm hit with a wave of anxiety during the day or whether I'm hit with a fear of worry at night, I know that you are with me and I know that you love me. He's remembering the truth of who God is. And that word translated um, steadfast there in the Hebrew also brings up these other ideas of, 
of passion, of fervor, of consistency. And so we could understand this as in the midst of our anxiety, fear, worry, frustration, whatever, we have God's consistent, passionate, continual love for us. Just going after us. When things are really difficult, we can know that God's consistent, passionate, continual love is there for us. The psalmist, he states, like, I know I'm not abandoned, but I know the truth is that I'm passionately loved and pursued, but he is in the midst of his struggle. He is stating these truths in the midst of his struggle, and then immediately right, right again, he goes back to what's going on with him. In verse 9 and 10, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with, deadly, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Do you see how he is in this fight going back and forth from truth to, but I feel like this, the truth, but I, I feel like this. It's, uh, it's so interesting, you know, like in one moment, he's like, God, you're with me all night. The next, he's like, why have you forgotten all about me? And to be honest with you, I love this because I can relate to it so much. I do this too, and maybe you do. One minute, surrendered fully. God, I love you. You are so good. Your grace is awesome. The next minute, God, what happened? Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you doing what I asked? It just happens like that so quickly. I see the, real, the reality of humanity within this guy. Like he already feels distant. He's in need of God's presence. He's trying to hold on to God, but he just gets pounded by these taunts of other people, which feels like arrows, like crushing blows to his bones. That is where he's at. And in the midst of that, what does he do? He goes right back to that personal pep talk again. He goes back to the same refrain that he used earlier. So look at verse 11, the end of the psalm. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And that's it. That's how the psalm ends. There's no bow. There's no happy ending. There's no like real deliverance at that moment. He still is struggling with his feelings. Um. It's so interesting to me. It's, it's, it's like a terrible end to a movie. He hasn't, his feelings haven't changed. His situation hasn't changed. So what are we to learn from that as a church that's reading Psalm 42? What are we to learn from that? Well, I think that we must continue to hold on to who our God is in the middle of the storm. I think that that's the lesson that's buried in there. That's really the last point, is that we need to continue to hope in the Lord to state our trust in Him, even if things don't change. And that is, is difficult. But as you walk through the whole psalm, that's actually what you see over and over again. The beginning is like, God, you are the source of life. I thirst for you. I need you. And then he's like, but people are hurting me. Like, I feel like a punching bag. I'm just getting beat up. But God, I know that your steadfast love is with me. But God, why did you forget? Why do I feel like I'm drowning? But yet again, like, God, I'm going to hope in you. I'm going to put my trust in you. And I really feel like he's laying out a pattern for us to keep putting our hope in God and stating our trust in him 
over and over again. Essentially, it's this idea of standing firm, which is a biblical principle that you see often in Scripture. Standing firm. It's really the idea of perseverance. It's like locking into the truth of God, saying no matter what happens, I am not letting go. And it reminds me of that story in Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and uh, Abednego. And they're told to bow down to this, this monument, to this foreign god, and worship it. And they don't want to. And they're brought before the king. And the king is laying out some horrible consequences if they do not bow down and worship uh, another god. But they say, we will not do it. And I love the line that they say. They say, um, we know that our god is able to save us. We know that he is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we are not backing down. We are holding on to him no matter what. And I feel like that's, that's what the psalmist is saying to us too. In the midst of the feelings, in the midst of all the emotions, in the midst of the turmoil, hold on to God no matter what, even if things don't change. Because the truth is, like God is faithful. God is with you. God hasn't left. God is your Savior. God is your rock. He even says rock, if you caught that in verse 9. And I was thinking about how he calls God his rock. And then in verse 7, how he talks about, you know, the waves and the breakers and how he's going, going under and he's just he's holding on to God as rock. It just reminded me of the story. And I just want to close with this. Just, just go with me for a second. So, when I was learning how to swim, just a very, very little kid, I was learning how to swim. Um, I grew up in the suburbs, so my parents, you know, they'd take us to this community pool, and we'd have lessons, we'd learn how to swim. And I just remember being this, this little kid, you know, like trying to move my arms and feet and everything. And then there were times where I felt like I was going under, I couldn't swim. And then the, the instructor would, would yell to me like, reach for the wall, <laughs> reach for the wall, you know, and then I'd put my hand out, and I would hold on tightly to that, like, rock-solid wall, and I would just be clinging on for dear life like this, and it reminded me of the psalmist, you know, like, he's, he's saying, the waves, they're just taking me under, I don't feel like I'm going to make it, I'm not going to breathe, but then there's God, his rock, and I want to encourage all of us to hold fast to the rock of God in the midst of of what you're feeling, in the midst of what you're going through, because here is the truth. Our God doesn't change. So he is always good. He is always faithful, whether we feel like it or not. It doesn't mean that if we're having a better day that God is better. It doesn't mean that if we're having a worse day that God is not as good as he used to be. God doesn't change. He is always God. He is always our Savior, and we need to hold fast to that truth. And how do we do it? We do it by what we've been talking about today. We're honest with God. We don't fake it. We don't go for shallow relationship. We're going for a deep relationship. So we're going to pour out our soul to him. And then we are going to speak the truth of God over ourselves and to ourselves that he is my God. He is my Savior. He is with me in the midst of this and he always will be. And then finally, we just continue to do it over and over and over again, even when things don't change. Even when things don't change. Our God is good. He is with us in the midst of whatever you're feeling, whatever I'm going through. Like, God is there. 
if you have a relationship with Jesus. And so the first thing, just application-wise, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you haven't trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you don't have that rock to cling to. And so you need to receive Jesus. And I would personally love to talk with you. Um, Reach out to our staff. We'd love to explain to you what a relationship with Jesus looks like, where we just surrender control of our lives and say, God, like, I'm putting my life in your hands. I know I've had sin. I know I can't get out of this problem on my own. You're the only Savior. I need you. I welcome you into my life. I trust you. That's the first thing. If you do have Jesus in your life, what I'm challenging you to do today and this week is to get out a piece of paper, get a pen, and actually write out to God everything that is going on inside your heart, whatever you're frustrated about, all the emotions that you are feeling, anything that's making you worried or upset, anything that's making you angry, write that all out before God. And then, this is most important, when you're all done, when you've gotten everything out and written down, I want you to write verse 11, 4211 to yourself. And just, you know, talking to yourself at this point, say, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then make sure that you write this to yourself. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So get everything out on the piece of paper, all the feelings, all the emotions, and then go back to this. Hope in God, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. God is with us and our feelings don't change who he is. Our feelings don't change what he's done for us. Our feelings don't change our eternity. He is faithful and good. Let's hold on to him. And I just want to put this at the end. You know, like if you're, if you're struggling, one other thing you can do is just to reach out to some other people that can help you know the truth of God, that can help you hold fast to the truth, that can help you wrestle through those feelings and emotions and remind you that God hasn't changed, that God is present, that God is with you. Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the reality of the humanity that we see. God, because that looks so much more like my life. My life is not always perfect. I am not always happy. I do struggle. Um, and I thank you that you allow us to see that in your word. And God, I also thank you for your precious promises that um, if we have you, if we've surrendered to you, if we receive you in our lives, Lord, you will never leave us nor forsake us, that there's nothing that's impossible for you, that our eternity is sealed forever because of what you've done for us. And so, Father, I just pray over our church that we would grow in our heart and our passion for you and um, that in the midst of good days or bad days, Lord, that we would hold on to you knowing you don't change. You're with us and faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.